911, what's the nature of your emergency? Good morning, police, fire, military, and families, and to you listening to this on the Tactical Living Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Walton, and I have my really good friend, Mr. Eddie Richardson, with me this morning. Eddie, how are you? I'm doing good. How are you doing, Ashley? I'm good, too. Before we hopped on here, Eddie was showing me his beautiful dog. It's this German Shepherd, and you would think it's like two years old, and I asked him how old it's his service dog, and he's like, oh, only six months. I'm like, oh my gosh, like if that isn't a handful already, it's certainly going to be. <laughs> That's cool though. So Eddie, I know that I had brought you on to the Tactical Living podcast and we did an interview, but this is the first time doing it live in the group. So um, can you just share with everybody who you are? Um, well, my name is Eddie Richardson, obviously. Uh, I am the peer support coordinator for the Wounded Blue, which is the national assistance or a national charity for the assistance of uh, wounded and disabled police officers throughout the country. So I, I, I kind of wear a lot of hats. Yeah, we were just talking about that and, and how busy you guys are. And there's the events coming up in October, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But you have this incredible story when it comes to your career. So can you talk to us a little bit about what it was like becoming a police officer, why you became a police officer, what happened during your time of service, and I'm pretty much just going to give the platform to you, my friend. Okay. Um, I was one of those late bloomers in law enforcement. I, I didn't get in until uh, I think I was 25 or 26. Um, so I was one of the old guys in the academy uh, because I had a whole four years on everybody. But uh, I tried up in New York. It was relatively impossible to get in. And when I had moved down to South Carolina, uh, my ex-wife, well, now she's ex-wife, um, became a dispatcher. And I got to know one of the commanders at the South Carolina Highway Patrol. And he said, just put in an application. I said, no, I don't want to leg up or anything. He said, no, that's not how it works down here. Put in the application. And I did. And they actually hired me, which surprised the hell out of me. Um, so I did trooper work for about five years and got bored as hell. Uh, no offense to any of the troopers listening, but I just, I did not, I did not want to write tickets and work recs every day for the rest of my life. So I moved over to the sheriff's department in the same county that I'd been stationed in, which was Lexington County, South Carolina. And I loved it. It was great. Um, I got into just about everything you can think of uh, until uh, August of 2016, where I got into one that I almost didn't make it out of. Um, and that was the, that was the day that I got ambushed, um, by a gentleman named Brian Bird, who, uh, waited for me in a, about a two acre yard, uh, behind the wheel of a car and decided to floor it, uh, when I was out in no man's land on foot. Um, I went up and over the car instead of under, which was good for me. Um, but, uh, I did have to shoot and kill him after he struck me. And uh, about two days later, I woke up and realized I couldn't feel anything from the waist down. And that started my whole battle with comp and dealing with comp and feeling abandoned by my agency, feeling abandoned by everybody else led to the point where I was clinically depressed is an understatement. Um, suicidal is, is actually the truth. Um, and I realized that I, 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 
I've gone to the press and spoken to some people about it and it made it actually worse for me um, until somebody reached out and said, hey, can I talk to you? And it was another officer in the state who was going through some crap. And he said, uh, I had my gun in my hand and it was like I instantly switched gears. It was like, I got to save this guy. You know, I got I to gotta do my cop thing. And it grew from there. Well, by the way, he's still with us. But uh, within two weeks, I had 48 officers reach out to me within the state. Within a few months, I had gotten connected up with other wounded officers across the country and was walking legislation onto the floor of the House and the Senate in uh, Washington, D.C. during police week. Uh, that's where Randy Sutton found me. Uh, he's the founder of the Wounded Blue. And he said, hey, I've launched this charity. Do you really want to help people? Let's give them some peer support. Um, so I found myself in Oklahoma City going through peer support training with the nine people I'd worked with, you know, doing ragtag activism or advocacy. And it's grown into what it is today. And now we've we've done almost 4,000 peer supports nationwide. Um, we have like 37 or 38,000 wounded officers that we're in contact with nationwide. So it's just a movement that's just continuing to grow, continuing to get bigger. We actually had to double our peer team size um, just from the sheer volume of officers that want to speak to somebody, but they don't trust the people at their own department. They don't trust their employee assistance program. They don't trust the, the county doctor. Um, and case in point, when I said that I needed help, uh, within five minutes, everybody in human resources knew that I'd reached out confidentially. And within 15 minutes, I was getting calls from my subordinates going, wow, how messed up are you? Uh, I heard you need to go see a shrink. And then they sent me to the county shrink, who's located in the same parking lot as our traffic division. So as I'm walking in to go talk to the counselor, the guys from the traffic division are waving at me out the window. As I'm walking in, they all knew where I was going. So this just some of the reasons why people don't trust their employee assistance program the way that it should be trusted. And, and it's not run the way that it should be run. Um, and hearing this from thousands of officers nationwide, we realize it's not, it's not a problem locally. It's not a problem with a county versus a city or a city versus a state. It's, it's a pandemic across the country that every time an officer gets hurt, they are treated like a liability and not an asset. They are get them fixed as quick as possible for as little as possible. And if they're unfixable, get rid of them with the least amount of cash out of our pocket. Um, my department took my health insurance from me. Um, some places take their entire retirement because you have to be in 10, 15, 20 years to be vested to even retire. And we all know the people that go on the calls that they can get hurt are usually your one to five year people. They, they take a hit and can't come back to work. They're discarded. And it's not fair because that's the price of doing business. There is no big corporation to go after with all this. This is government and government needs to take care of the people that they're asking to put their lives on the line. I'm sorry. That was kind of a long drawn out speech right there, but just kind of explains what it is that I do and why I do it. Yeah, and hearing that, everybody's saying good morning. Thank you for your service, Eddie. Your servant-driven heart is incredible, and um, trust is a huge issue. It absolutely is. That's one of the biggest complaints that we see in our coaching platform is there there is no such thing as confidentiality, and your story is unfortunately a very common one because um, when you go into that clinical setting, you're automatically documented, 
And I know with the peer support that you provide, similar to what Clint and I do with Leo Warriors, there is no such thing as documentation. And um, unless you say you're going to hurt yourself or hurt somebody else, it is is truly like just one-on-one and it will always remain that way. So I'm really grateful that that's the type of peer support that you're providing because there is no other way. It has to be that way. Um, You may mention that two, two days after your accident, you had woken up and that's when everything changed. And you also said that there was the lack of support and you had to deal with all these comp issues. Can you talk about some of those struggles that you faced? Oh yeah. Um, and I kind of gleaned over it quickly because that could obviously take more than several hours if we were to talk about the whole thing, but long story short, and to give you an idea of the way that I was treated the day of the incident. Now I was hit by the vehicle at 22 miles an hour. Now, the day of the incident, I was taken to the emergency room. It, granted, I told them I didn't need to go because, of course, I'm perfect and I'm, I'm, I'm uh, invincible. Um, I didn't even realize I was hurt. So I go to the hospital. They x-rayed my knees, my shins. They gave me four pain pills, and they sent me home. Um, here I was struck in, a, in an MVC. Anybody that's an EMT out there, anybody that's a first responder out there knows and they probably should have done a little bit more, but we won't get into that. And two days later, when I woke up and my legs didn't work, I was instantly called a liar. I went to, they, they set up another appointment with their doctor. I went to the doctor and he hands me a set of crutches and says, here you go. So how am I supposed to walk with crutches if I can't feel my legs? And you figure it out. By the way, I know you're on administrative leave for your shooting, but let me go ahead. I'm going to clear you to go back to work. He literally wrote a document clearing me to go back to work when I couldn't feel anything below my belly button. Um, That was my first um, encounter with comp doctors. It took them 90 days to approve an MRI, find out that my spine was blown out. Um, Then they did injections, which they knew weren't going to work, but they had to by comp standards. Uh, then they, they recommended a discectomy and I had the discectomy done. And two weeks later, I was sitting on the couch with my dad who'd come down to visit from New York. And it sounded like somebody shot a 22 off right behind me. And I instantly launched up, grabbed my thighs and started dry heaving. It looked like, the only way I can describe it is like I was trying to do a, I was trying to do a flip as a, in a dive, like a jackknife. I grabbed my legs and was bent full over dry heaving and screaming. And we found out that my discectomy had popped. Now, the doctor said it didn't. He said it was fine. And he told me for eight months I was lying that I still couldn't feel my right leg because I'd gotten a feeling back in my left leg, but my right leg was dead. And uh, so for eight months, he called me a liar. I got my hip repaired during that time because that was torn out. Um, and he sent, he finally said, sent me to his partner, which was their independent medical examination, was to send me to his partner in the same clinic who looked at everything and said, you're faking and I'm going to prove it. I'll send you to a neurologist. Please send me to a neurologist. He looked at it and said, I'm sorry, they waited too long. Your nerves now dead in your spine. And I found out that my L5 was dead. My L4 was 80% impacted. And realized I couldn't be a cop again because he said, you're never going to get that function back. He goes, it's going to continue to deteriorate even if they stabilize it and your foot's going to start to drop, which it did uh, about two months afterward. So now I have an AFO brace. I ended up getting a fusion uh, to stabilize everything. But uh, it was clearly because comp did not 
treat it the right way that I ended up losing all feeling in my leg and the entire time being called a liar. And then I was malingering and then I was making it up and then it wasn't as bad as I thought it was. Those were all the rumors that spread around and anybody that's gone through workers comp as a, as a police officer, they've probably gotten the same treatment from both their coworkers and their department. Yeah. Yeah. Going back to our conversation, that makes sense. Absolutely. Right. It's crazy that the doctor called you a liar. These people who did this to you, i.e. the department, the doctors, they will stand to give an account before God. Like it just blows my mind. Um, Can you talk a little bit, Eddie, about the, the, when somebody gets injured like this, whether you're a police officer or you work anywhere, you expect that your employer or the people that you work with you know, they're the ones that you're with more than you are with your own families for the most part. But it, it's especially so in a police department. So when that didn't happen for you, can you talk a little bit about what you were going through? Oh, absolutely. It, it, the way I described it is the abandonment is is tantamount to torture. When you think about the fact that, you know, the people you've worked with, you've bled with, that you've trusted to have your six begin to distance themselves from you to where, Okay, initially, you get a few dozen phone calls checking on how you are. Within two weeks, nobody. And by nobody, I mean, okay, it had dwindled down to about four or five that were checking on me on a regular basis. And they're still my friends to this day. But these people I bled with, worked with, fought with, they just walked away. The department, I was an issue. I was not a... um, I was not an asset. I was a liability. And I was, I don't know how else to describe it other than I was destroyed when everything I'd worked for, the reputation I built for myself, all the people that would follow me to hell and back, they couldn't follow me to the armchair that I couldn't get out of. Um, I know being a psychology major that there's cognitive dissonance involved. They can't, they don't want to see them, somebody hurt like that. They don't want to see me hurt like that because that means they could be hurt like that. I mean, there's there's a bunch of different coping mechanisms we do in law enforcement and EMS and fire, for that matter, to say, well, as long as I'm not the one in that position, it's okay. But if they see the person in that position, they can put themselves in that in that person's body and go, oh, crap, that can happen to me too. And that's probably the part that hurt the most when you're talking about we're the blue line, we've got each other's backs. And then you find out there's really only four or five people that truly do. And to this day, they, they've still had my back, but there's a lot of people I had to cut out of my life. My circle as a cop was already small. It got a hell of a lot smaller and literally down to four or five people aside from my wife and my children that I trusted. And it took a long time after getting involved with this kind of stuff to open back up and allow people back into my heart, so to speak, um, to trust them again. Um, it's almost like a bad relationship where you're like, I'm never going to love again and you know, go hide in a corner and eat some Haagen-Dazs. That's kind of the way it felt. Um, and it just added to the depression. It added to being suicidal. It, uh, it just compounded everything that, that just the abandonment, not, not, not physical injuries, just the abandonment alone is absolute psychological torture. 
For sure. In the comments, it says, sadly, this happens a lot nationwide. Unbelievable. Absolutely. That is so horrible. There are so many who have the same experience. The workers' compensation doctors are more about saving the city or the county compared to the patient often. Yes, absolutely. Um, isn't it weird how you get isolated when bad things happen, not just with the administration, but also your peers? It's tragic, man. Yeah, for sure. So, Eddie, when you were in that moment and you you had lost that camaraderie and it was difficult for you to recognize that your circle was then becoming much, much smaller. What helped you in order to heal from that? Uh, honestly, if it wasn't for my wife and my kids, um, that, that, that gave me the sense of stability. I mean, I'll be, I'll be honest. I had my gun, my, my gun in my mouth six times during that month of October, 2017. And, um, I still don't know why it didn't go off one time um, because it should have, but finding others and, and realizing that I was not the only one dealing with it because you feel like you are the only one that's going through that. It's only because it's me. You know, if it would have been somebody else, they would have been treated different. This is my luck. This is what happens to me. That's the stuff that was running through my head. And really what got me out of it, was that drive that we have to serve others you know true knuckle dragon salty cops want to help everybody that they can and and getting that phone call from that one guy made me realize that there was like a purpose and then realizing there were all of these wounded officers out there that's that's why when randy approached me about this charity that the the motto for it is never forgotten never alone and to me, that means the world because I was forgotten. I was alone. I was alone for a long freaking time. And you would not believe picking up the phone and, and, and talking to some of these people. Some of them haven't talked to somebody in 30 years. I couldn't make it a year and a half. And they're going 30 years without talking to somebody. And they just, they burst into tears all the time on the phone going, I, I thought I was the only one. And it, I think that, is what makes the model so important to everybody and actually shows the drive that we have. The reason why we have the drive that we have is because we all felt forgotten. We all felt alone. We don't want anybody to ever feel like that again. So every time we can bring somebody in from the cold, it's a victory to us. For sure. Um, family is a huge support system. I love that you're still with us, brother. For sure, we are too. Eddie, you know the platform very, very well when it comes to everything that the Wounded Blue has to provide. So if it is one of those one of those people in that vulnerable situation, who might be a good candidate to be able to contact you if if they if they might feel like they're ready to talk to somebody, perhaps even for the first time? Any reason, any reason whatsoever that you feel you want to share, you want to talk to somebody, you want to find out if all right, I felt this way. Is that normal? Is it not normal? All you have to do is message us uh, at the Wounded Blue. Um, you can email me, uh, which I'm, I'm sure we're going to put in the comments later with my direct email address. Pick up the phone, call our number. It goes to the office. It'll get routed right back to myself or Jenny Hill, and we'll get somebody in touch with you. The biggest thing that I can tell you is that it's normal. Most of the time, everything that you're feeling and that we're here to reconfirm the fact that it's normal, what you're going through. And I mean, I've, I've talked to people that have, they were just shot at or their partner was shot at, they weren't even there and it bothers them. Um, 
they've dealt with bad wrecks. They've dealt with things that most people would consider minor. And this is, this is really important to everybody. Don't, don't downplay your injury. As cops, we triage everything. We'll go, well, at least it's not as bad as this next person's. Don't do that. It's your injury, 100%. Whether it's mental, physical, both combined, it's your injury. You have to own it. You have to realize that to you, it's 100%. You can't look at it and go, well, at least it's not as bad as this guy. Because trust me, I've got a friend who was shot in the face. I tell him it made him look prettier. But he looks at me and says, at least my injury is not as bad as yours is. And I get up every time. You know, here's a guy who took a shotgun for breakfast. And I'm, you know, he's worried about my spinal scars. Don't diminish it. Reach out. Nobody will know that you did. Your agency will never know. Your friends will never know. If you know somebody that's struggling and you want us to reach out to them, do the same thing. They won't even know you referred them. We'll just reach out to them on a cold call. But it's getting that stigma squashed any way that we can, that we're trying to we're, we're trying to get the word out there that there are people available aside from just your agency, because we know you don't trust them. We don't trust ours. Yeah, for sure. Good point. Indirect trauma impacts us as much as direct trauma does. And, and that's that's the truth. So um, I really appreciate you sharing your story. I know this is the second time we've gone through it together, but I feel like your story is one that is so impactful because you were able to take something so traumatic that had happened to you and now you're using it for a completely different purpose. And I truly applaud you for that. And to lighten things up a little bit, there's this huge event going on in October with the Wounded Blue in Las Vegas. So can you talk to us about that? Oh, my word. This is something that that Randy's wanted to do for quite some time. Um, We've talked about it back before we even formed the peer team, what his ideas were for for trying to get people together to uh, to have a gathering. And what we did is we got with uh, a group called BW Unlimited. Uh, it's run by a man named George Wooden. And George is a retired Maryland trooper. And he runs these events all over the country. And what it's called is the Brothers in Blue, Va- Brothers in Blue Bash Las Vegas. It's October 17th. And it's a destination gathering. And considering police week didn't happen this year, it's your chance to go out and actually have fun with some cops. You know um, what we're doing is we've got a place at UNLV. Uh, we're going to be having a full dinner. Um, you get uh, drink tokens. Uh, they're going to have live auctions, silent auctions. It's really going to be the event of all events um, for everybody that wasn't able to make it to police week. And right now, if you go to brothers and blue bash, Las Vegas, Facebook page or the wounded blues, Facebook page, there's a link where you can go and purchase tickets to come. Uh, Randy's going to be there. I'm going to be there. There's going to be a ton of people that are showing up. And, and to be honest, we're selling out pretty fast, a lot faster than what I predicted it to be, um, which is why I've been so busy lately. But uh, I can't say enough good things about the things that are going to be happening here. If you could even just see a bit of the memorabilia that George Wooden team is bringing for auction, it would blow you away. It's just absolutely amazing. Yeah, we are. We are so excited. Thank you, Eddie Richardson. You are a huge you are on a huge mission, brother. Absolutely. Clint says that he and I are both super excited for this. And it's true. He and I will both be there and we might just have two seats available at our table once they're all sold out later on this year. Who knows? We'll see. That'll be something we'll talk about later on. But um, Eddie, thank you so much for coming in and sharing your story. 
we, we're really excited to be able to see you in Las Vegas. And you're doing such great work. You are literally saving lives. And I, I'm just so, so honored to know you and to share space with you this morning. And I thank you for everything that you do. Oh, thank you. I'm very humbled by that. I'm just trying to put one less person that's in the dark, uh, bring them to the light. That's all we're trying to do every day. One less person. It makes us, it makes everything worth it. All the sacrifice, all the garbage. And uh, obviously can't wait to see you all in October. If anybody needs any assistance, reach out to thewoundedblue.org, reach out to our Facebook page, reach out to me individually. We'll put my email down in the link. Don't hesitate. Yeah, I actually already have everything in in the comments um, already. So we we will go ahead and look forward to seeing you in October. And anybody can just click right on those, have direct access to Eddie. Go ahead. I got one more thing, and Randy will kill me if I don't mention it. Um, we have a documentary on Amazon Prime that we filmed a couple of years ago. It follows six of us. It's called The Wounded Blue. Uh, it's on Amazon Prime. It's on iTunes. We're coming out with a continuation of that. Uh, we're going to, if you go to YouTube and subscribe to the Wounded Blue TV, um, it doesn't have anything on there yet, but May 1st, our very first episode of Voices of the Blue is going to be airing, and it's going to be a six-episode uh, miniseries that we've done as a continuation of the documentary to show what's happened in the lives of some other wounded officers. That's cool. I didn't know about um, the Wounded Blue on Amazon. So we'll we'll drop the link to both of those in the comments too. And um, have a really good day, Eddie. You too. Thank you, Ashley. Thank you.